Indiana Republicans denounce Donald Trump. Should they do more? Attack ads in the race for governor. Glenda Ritz proposes universal pre-K, and Baron Hill calls for multiple debates in the Senate race. That plus Indiana sin taxes and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending June 10, possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, a number of key Indiana Republicans denounced Donald Trump's comments about federal judge Gonzalo Curiel. Trump believes Curiel, a native Hoosier, shouldn't preside over a lawsuit against Trump University because his Mexican heritage makes him biased, according to Trump. Governor Mike Pence called Trump's comments inappropriate. Others spoke up for the first time, too, including GOP Senator Dan Coats, who tweeted that Trump's comments were totally inappropriate. Congressman Susan Brooks also took to Twitter. She called the comments completely inappropriate. Democrat Baron Hill denounced Todd Young, his opponent in this year's Senate race, for not being forceful enough. Young's campaign manager called the Trump remarks highly inappropriate. Here's Hill. If you agree with Donald Trump and you can't denounce him based upon the things that he has said, then you might as well just take the Statue of Liberty and kick it into the New York Harbor because it won't mean anything. That's not the America that we come have come to appreciate in this country. America is for everybody. Trump issued a statement saying his comments were misconstrued. Were the comments by Indiana Republicans forceful enough? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel, Democrat and Delaney. Republican Mike McDaniel. John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Shella. And Delaney, is it necessary for Indiana Republicans to denounce Trump? Yeah, it is. I mean, Judge Curiel is a Hoosier. He was born, raised, and educated in Indiana. And he is a credit to Indiana. And once a Hoosier, always a Hoosier. They should have denounced it forcefully, not by inappropriate, which is something you say to a preschooler, but by calling it what it is. They are racist comments. They are done for his own personal motivation, using the bully pulpit of of the, the presidential campaign for personal financial advantage and racist to boot, and they should have all denounced him, and forcefully, with words other than inappropriate. Well, Congressman Luke Messer did go a little further. He called it inappropriate, but... and and there a talking point that was issued to every Republican? No, but he did say that that Donald Trump used the race card, Um, although he also said that he didn't think Donald Trump is racist, but he suggested that, that Donald Trump may have some sort of personality tick that... Makes uh, him unsuitable to be president. Well, that, that <laughs> makes him go on the attack like this. Uh, why is he speaking out more than others? Oh, I think everybody has spoken out on this. I mean, across the board, every leader I know of has denounced what he said. What he said was absolutely wrong, period, end of report. And uh, there was no place for that, uh, especially for somebody that wants to be president. 
and I'm surprised that he, I'm, I'm even surprised that he said what he said. Uh, and it's, it's one of those things where, you know, people have said what they needed to say, and for the Democrats to try to say, well, I didn't do it forcefully enough, I mean, they're just trying to score points on the back of this, clearly. I mean, and I get that. That's what they're all about, and that's right. what they got to do. But they but, didn't, you know, state state Democratic Chairman John Zodi came out before any of these comments were made. Oh, and, these and denouncements said, were within 48 hours of the time the statement was made. No, he was yes. on... No. Every one of the, every one of Last, the denouncements were within 48 hours of the time that he made the statement. Well, Zodi was in 24 hours, but every one of them was... Well, you're talking about when he reinforced sure. the statement on Sunday, on Sunday sure. television so, programs. I mean, it's... Look, but not it's within done. 48 hours he's, of the original He's wrong. Right. He's been denounced. It's hurt him. There's no question about that. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to get through it. Trump says that he will have no further comments on this matter. What are the odds of that? Um, I think that's a betting. You want to short that bet. I, I think he'll be talking about it, if only because it will be uh, presented to him incessantly until there's some sense of resolution. And that's why I think the notion that uh, it was somehow misconstrued is, is going to be a challenge for the Trump campaign because not only did he make the initial comments, but as was noted here, reporters in subsequent interviews were saying, well, what about this scenario and what about this scenario? And he basically doubled down on that, that position. Right. So it's, it's, you know, it's not as if uh, Gerald Ford was uh, standing here saying Poland is not under Soviet influence and there's some sort of disconnect briefly, you know, instantaneously between uh, the, the tongue and the lips. And in this case, he's... If there was a yeah. disconnect or misconstruing of it, it was it, it went spanned about a, a forty-eight hour period. So, what's the calculation that Indiana Republicans are making? Clearly, clearly they 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 wonder whether it makes sense to distance themselves from Donald Trump at this point. Look, they understand that, that these are damaging and terrible remarks. They're despicable, as we said last week. Uh, so, they want to be distanced from that, but they do have to make a calculation because. You know, Donald Trump is likely to be, uh, barring something weird at the convention, atop the ticket. And so there is a political calculation for people who are on the ballot in Indiana, and they want to make sure that it doesn't go too far. It's a, it's a tough calibration because I'm sure that everybody does see these comments for what they are, really terrible. But at the same time, you know, there are a lot of people who support Donald Trump, and they have to be careful they're, if that's what they're if that's what they're worried about. I think they should go all the way, but right. you know there's a political calculation there not, being there made. There are not enough racist, misogynist voters in this country to justify that's right. taking a middle position on that's this. Be that's right. Throwing around those kind of words. I mean, no, and he made it pretty clear. When you do well, but but Paul Ryan, House Speaker Paul Ryan, says this is a textbook use of, of the race. race card. Right. Everybody has a different idea of the severity of what he said and people are saying that and everybody has so you know i don't know what else you can do about that it does make you wonder though if paul ryan wishes he had a mulligan on the endorsement because no every time even if this issue somehow disappears back to your question there will be another issue of and this type one, and so and every time one, there's some one. utterance that's seen as pushing the envelope in terms of what is Conventional well, wisdom or customary so social That's the question Luke Messer is That's right. exactly that's what people are going to beat a path to uh, Paul think, Ryan's door. I think that's the thing. The next time and the next time. And that's, you know, you make these calculations, you keep slicing, you can't do it. And so at some point, this is going to be, it's likely that Donald Trump will find himself on an island. And that's, you know, for these kinds of comments and they, these kinds of statements and beliefs, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens sooner than later. 
Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, how would you describe Donald Trump's remarks about Judge Curiel? Your choices are A, racist, B, misconstrued, or C, mind-boggling. Last week's question, who deserves the most credit for the economic turnaround in Elkhart? 63% said President Obama. 7% said Governor Pence. 30% said neither. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. Democrat John Gregg is the target this week of attack ads purchased by the Republican Governors Association. The ads replace most of the positive Mike Pence ads on Indiana TV stations. They make use of stereotypical black and white images of Gregg meant to portray him as unacceptable to Hoosier voters. Here's part of the ad, followed by state Democratic Chairman John Zodi. A wasteful spending, tax-loving former lobbyist for governor? No thank you. Here we are uh, seeing an outside group come in because the governor uh, doesn't have the guts to do it himself, I guess. You know, Mike Pence clearly can't uh, run on his own record, um, and he has to try to weaken John Gregg just like he's weakened our economy. And, also and that's Pence campaign spokesman Jeff Harris, Mike McDaniel. Why doesn't Pence send that message on his own? I'm sorry, Greg campaign yeah. spokesman. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, rule number one in a contested race is to find the opponent before the opponent defines you. And clearly, uh, they know that they can't sit back like they did four years ago and just have somebody just flail away at them like they did and not respond. So they're, with the help of the Governor's Association, they're doing that now. And I think they're smart to do it now. Uh, to set the but, groundwork but what, what insiders are saying is that the, the Governor's Association could make a contribution to the Pence campaign and Pence could get a lower rate for these ads. Instead, he's letting the Governor's Association mm. purchase them at a higher rate. Is that so he can say that I'm not the guy doing this? I, yep. can't, I can't answer that question, but I, I, I don't have any problem with them doing it because the baseline yeah. has to be established and they're doing just that because if you sit back, I said this after during the last race, I said, you can't sit there and just have them play a whale at you like they did in the last third right. of the campaign. And you know they're going to start earlier this time because he's not, John Gregg is not doing the Mayberry ads like he did the last time. Uh, so he's going to come yeah, out of the box way on the way. Yeah, well, right. It, it, he came out with another <laughs> ad this week with a Republican, another uh, Republican testimonial in it. Right. Catherine Welling, former state lawmaker, right. but he's going to have to get a little tougher in his ads. Well, I mean, first of all, you're you're right. All they're doing is trying to slice it so thin, so Mike Mike Pence can say, "I'm not a negative campaigner like I promised. I promised. I promised. I promised. I wouldn't do again." Well, he's doing it. I've never. And heard on him top talk of like that, that, on top of that, he's doing it inaccurately. What's great about <laughs> this is, first of all, Indiana doesn't have a deficit and can't constitutionally have a deficit, which is what this ad claims, number one. Number two, yeah, they spent down the surplus, they cut the inventory tax, and they took care of the property tax, which was scheduled to ra be raised by 30%. And Brian Bosma and John Gregg got an award from Governing Magazine for doing this. The same kind of technique of tax shifting that M Mitch Daniels did. So did yeah. Mitch Daniels raise taxes then? What, what we've got here is a desperate attempt by somebody who's flailing around with the negatives that are through the ceiling, and that's obvious. Well, I mean, what that ad screams is that Mike Pence feels vulnerable. Yes. Well, it, it does, I think, scream. Uh, there's no question about that. And I, I think that it does make, he's read his polls. I think he understands where he's at in the polls. 
Uh, and I think Mike is right too. They are trying to define John Gregg before John has actually redefined himself in this election. So there, it's the advantage right now because uh, John has to respond to these ads. I thought it was interesting that uh, the ad came out, the Gregg campaign responded immediately with the talking points and its own ad, which were very good, I thought. Uh, but then the next day, the RGA came out with a, 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 a website that said, yes. well, where is your plan? A, so, a, I mean, a this complete is, social media. That's uh, right. Yeah. This, is, this is a fully engaged uh, yeah. campaign, and with, we're which, five months out. And the state Republican Party is, is uh, coordinating its well, efforts coordinating with them. It, they're not coordinating very well, because at the same time that the RGA was accusing him of raising taxes, the, Demo the Republican State Committee was saying he cut taxes too much. They yeah. ought to get their messages straight. Yeah. Uh, this tone in June, what's it, what's it uh, portend for the fall? This may be the easiest question you've ever asked in, in all these years. It's going to be nasty. I mean, this is what happens when you have a high-stakes campaign for an office that two people and two parties want desperately. Uh, and the, the, the political climate that we have now, not just in Indiana, but nationally, lends itself right mm -hmm. now to a lot of, you know, bravado, a lot of antagonism and, and name-calling. So We're desensitized. This, this is going to be, this will be an interesting one. After the last race, John Gregg wrote a book called From Sandburn to the State House. And page 123 and 124 in that book, he says, we decided the only way to keep the majority in the House in the 1999-2000 session was to spend as much money as we could to get our, keep our seats so that we could draw the maps. And so Governor O'Bannon said to them, don't do it because we're headed towards a recession. Right. They ignored him and subsequently ate away all of the, the surplus. And O'Bannon was right, and he admitted to that in the book. Yeah. But the telling thing in there is that the reason that Pat Bauer and John Gregg spent that money and calculated to do it was to try to save the the majority they had so they could and, redraw the lines in the next election. He said so himself in his book, and his own words. I word. understand that. Clearly and the reason that Brian Bosma went along with it is because good politics yeah, makes you, for good government, and yeah, the property taxes the were going up dollars. too high. You have to remember Literally. that when the surplus was there, there were plenty of Republicans Same. who were, and I can right. remember that they the were showing, showing how to billion right, dollars get the people back their money. That O'Bannon even told them they shouldn't be doing, and they ignored But there were Republican lawmakers. Moving on. Mike Pence last week promised to expand a five-county pre-K pilot program statewide, but his plan calls for making pre-K available only to disadvantaged students. State School Superintendent Glenda Ritz, a Democrat who's up for re-election this year, wants pre-K to be available to every child who wants it. She spelled out her priorities in a speech at the State House this week. Ritz promised a plan that would lead to statewide pre-K classes by 2020 and said it can be done by leveraging federal dollars and adjusting priorities for state spending. We have to absolutely invest with our little ones, and I want it, I want it open to all, all students who might want to attend a high-quality pre-K program. I think funding pre-K would be an awesome idea, and I think it would be wonderful for the community. Early education is very beneficial, teaching those pre-reading skills as early as possible. And that's some of the sentiment in support of pre-K, voiced by parents in Garfield Park. John Ketzenberger, is the Ritz plan too ambitious? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think the idea is for all students. I mean, if it's good for, uh, for some students, it should be good for all students. And if the idea is that if you come into kindergarten prepared, uh, then everyone should have access to that. Um, some will need more uh, help than others, no question about that. But I think to make it an arbitrary 
situation is probably the bad idea. It is very ambitious given the political situation. There's no question about that. But she's right to advocate for it. $150 million a year is a big price tag. It is, but if, uh, if ever you had something probably that, uh, as you did with the Garfield Park survey, if you just went out and didn't give people the second layer of analysis about cost and where the parties stand and who's support and who's against it, there's got to be incredible support widespread for the notion. Uh, and well, yeah, I, I wish TV uh, Ball State Hoosier survey found 82% in support. And there, and there are other states. I mean, it is, uh, as a practical matter, doable because there are other yeah. states, are there not, that, that do it, do it. Uh, with Absolutely. similar population uh, base or student enrollment. Right. So, I mean, it is doable. Um, Glenda Ritz playing politics here? Oh, of course she is. I mean, this is, look, I think everybody would like to be able to do this if we could afford it. But nobody believes the $150 million number. Every fiscal leader I've talked to said it's probably double that. Three-quarters of the states that do have it are all based on need. And so what he's, what governor's talking about doing is expanding it for those in need. And I think, I think that's a gradual step. Even Glenda Ritz's proposal would have it done by 2020. Right. And so I think, I think if the governor would get his plan to where they can increase the number of people who are at risk... Uh, getting this kind of help, uh, and then eventually, because you're going to have more success, I think everybody believes that deep down inside, that eventually you have more success to the point where this will become a statewide program, but you, you, it's more than $150 million, probably twice that amount, and so it's going to be something with Republicans in both halves of the legislature you're going to have to get to over time. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. And, and she hasn't provided all the details yet. She's saying it would be a combination of public and private mm-hmm. and uh, access in each county so it wouldn't be every school. I mean, well, and not every parent wants to send the child to preschool, too. I mean, it, 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 obviously it's going to be optional. It's something we should have done two years ago when the federal government was going to put money in and Mike Pence rejected it. But we need to do it. We're not, you know, we have the surplus. Mike Pence thinks we have the surplus just so we can point to the surplus. We have the surplus to invest in things that are important. Early childhood education, our roads, our bridges, K through 12, higher ed, those are important investments for the state. We've got to stop being, as the Republicans used to say, a bank and start using these although, resources although for although something positive. Propo- in his defense, he did propose using some of the... Uh in the last session, some of those dollars uh, for roads. Yes, so, some, yeah. some, so, yeah. some. Not right. enough to make a difference. But the problem is the Democrats have spent that surplus four times. You want to spend it on roads, you want to spend it on pre-K, you want to spend it on everything else. You can't just arbitrarily say every time, well, we've got the surplus, let's spend it. You've spent it four times already. Uh-huh. Democrat Baron Hill issued a challenge to Republican Todd Young this week in the race for U.S. Senate. I am proposing four debates and five town hall meetings for a total of nine events, one in each of Indiana's congressional district. John Schwannis, what are the chances that will happen? Well, a few minutes ago you asked me the easiest question I ever had. Now, now you're asking me the second easiest question. We all the easy questions today. I, this is my version of pre-K. I, it's everything's easy for me today. Um, no, if, uh, let's just go back to, uh, we could look at the Politics for Dummies book that Ann wrote, uh, now in how many printings, whatever. Don't, don't worry. So get the royalties. <laughs> but, but when you're ahead and you're perceived to be ahead, and in fact the polls, what was the poll we talked about a week and a half ago? There was a sizable margin. About 13 and if, points. And if that's accurate in a district that, that tends, uh, is fairly conservative anyway, 
then the conventional wisdom dictates you don't want to yeah. stand on the same stage with your opponent uh, any more than you absolutely have to. And if you're the opponent and you're making this challenge, that tells everybody that, that uh, you need to make up ground. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a given. Um, and the answer, you gave a very good answer, John, but here's an even shorter answer. Slim and none, and none left town. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, nobody knows either one of them statewide. They may have some, now, some recognition in the Ninth District, but they're not really well known statewide. But I think there will not be that many, and the reason is that Todd Young doesn't want to stand on the stage and indicate why he's endorsed uh, <laughs> yeah. Donald but here, Trump. Let me, let me give Mike a softball today, since it's softball day here at Indiana Week. I haven't gotten one yet. Yeah. Oh, are you the first hang around. Hang around. Be doing that um, the <laughs> well, Baron Hill had a, there was, there's an ugly YouTube clip of him challenging yeah. a questioner at a town hall meeting in Bloomington yeah. when he was no, running kid. for Congress and a lot of people looked at this and thought, well, he just set himself up for. Look, let's start with the debates first before we get to town hall. The debate commission in Indiana this week offered to do two televised statewide debates. Todd Young accepted immediately. Right. So he's already accepted. I haven't heard Barron say yes yet to the two. Barron said debates. he gave this proposal to the debate. Well, they, he they've they've accepted, but he hasn't exactly made a public statement. He's accepted, and then as far as town halls go. Do you remember that town hall meeting? What happened was he wasn't going to have any town hall meetings to talk about Obamacare. And then he got so much pressure, he finally did. And there was a student reporter there taping it. And he got mad and said, made him turn the tape off. And when they asked him why, he said, this is my town hall and I write the rules. And he probably got booed by everybody in place. And that's still out there. So... I'm stunned that he would ask for town hall meetings after oh. the way he conducted himself the last time around. All right, Indiana Republicans head into a state convention this weekend with two contested races. There are four candidates for the nomination for attorney general, including former attorney general Steve Carter. Incumbent Greg Zeller isn't running for re-election. In the race for the nomination for state school superintendent, it's one-time Democrat Jennifer McCormick versus Tea Party member Don Wooten. Mike McDaniel, is this an example of a divided party? This is an example of a very healthy party. We've got so much talent and so many people want to run, for especially for attorney general this time around. I mean, these people are all qualified. And they've conducted themselves well. Nobody's gone after the other person in this thing. And so we're going to have a quality candidate for attorney general. And in a superintendent's race, I think Jennifer McCormick may be one of the most qualified people we've ever had. Yorktown superintendent. And she's gone up through the chairs, done everything you need to do in education, and a quality person. So, you know, I think she's the odds-on favorite going into the convention. So, you know, I think it's a good, healthy uh, situation for our party because we've got a lot of talent, and we're going to have it come forward. Uh, they've also got an incumbent governor. Should he be providing leadership to avoid <laughs> I think these those, contests? I think they would probably prefer not to have any association with that, that incumbent governor. That was your governor. softball, by the thank way. You, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. But actually, the most interesting thing about their convention is that their party platform is going to have a, a, a plank against equality in marriage. I, there's true. no truth to the that's rumor that true. they're also asking for flat earth. That's not true. The, it's no, in, no? It's not, no. Against, it's not against equality. It's in support of traditional marriage. Nobody ever talks about the second line that recognizes everybody in all forms of that. Yeah. And that's in there. And, and it's ignored in the media. It's ignored here. Well, why does it have you to be in the party is. platform? Why I, does it have I to be in the party platform? I would just say we're forming strong families, period. In the report, that would yeah. be fine for me. Yeah, yeah nobody would take what issue it is. with well, that. Again, you no, well, they did. You can pass. They still have to they, raise the issue. The Pence administration can't stay away from that issue. No. No. 
I mean, no. But I mean, this is death and, and taxes aren't the only certainties. Yeah. You ask a political or party official if it's good that you have a contested race or primary right. or good that you the don't. Answer, yeah. no. The answer is always whichever it is, either it's a unified party, we've all right. gathered and coalesced behind one person, or it's healthy because we're making everybody a better right. candidate yeah. with right. the tussle. That right. is, there is no answer. That's good, well delivered, well, well, though. Will Indiana, <laughs> will Indiana Republicans be unified next week? Next week? Next week. Um, they'll, be, they'll probably be there eventually, but maybe not yeah, next week. Absolutely. Finally, Indiana is among the top states in the collection of sin taxes. According to a study released this week, we're talking about taxes on things like gambling, booze, and cigarettes. Indiana is one of a handful of states with sin tax collections in excess of a billion dollars. Casinos and tobacco products provide the most revenue. Here, Pennsylvania is tops in terms of sin tax collections and delineating. What's the takeaway? Does Indiana That's, have more sinning or more tax? This is my second softball. Because it's this obviously, is T-ball now. Yeah, it's T-ball. No kidding. It's obviously easier to raise taxes on, on, those, on those items than it is to make the wealthy pay their well, fair share. Here? So. What's different here? Be, we, we have a legislature you're that doesn't want to make the wealthy everywhere. pay their it's fair share. in every state. If you're going to raise taxes, the first thing you go to are the things that people consider to be, quote, sin taxes, and it's easy to tax cigarettes, it's easy to tax alcohol, it's easy to tax gaming. I mean, those are things that people go, get it from them, you know, yeah. and the public doesn't care. Then you start messing maybe, around maybe with Maybe we can you do start it. messing around with sales tax and income tax yeah. and those but kinds of things. On the gaming front, a lot of states still don't have gaming, so yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, if you well, look at the numbers, that's Maybe we could do it on guns and ammunition. Next. That's in the Take how about that? For this week, our panel is Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash iwir, or starting Monday, you can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com.